Do you just love this podcast so much and wish you could find a way to monetarily support us? Well, guess what? Much like NPR, we thrive on support from viewers like you. So if you love this podcast and you want to become a contributor, all you have to do is go to anchor.fm. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Click the support button and choose the amount that you want to contribute each month to our podcast. This helps keep our podcast going and it keeps the phenomenal content that you have come to know and love flowing. So yeah, what are you waiting for? Sign up today. As always, thank you so much for being a listener. We appreciate you. We see you. And we hope you enjoy the show. Spoiler alert. If you do not want this film ruined, do not proceed. There's spoilers galore. You have been warned. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me, the classic film podcast and movie club where I, Sarah Greenfield, your host and classic film enthusiast, bring in my entertaining friends to talk about classic movies or any other old-fashioned form of media that strikes my fancy. On today's show, we're talking about the film The Bank Dick from 1940 with my wonderful guest, Jeremy Guskin. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me. I am your host, Sarah Greenfield, and today on the show, I have my wonderful guest, Jeremy Guskin. Jeremy, thanks for being here. My pleasure. It's uh, it's an honor to be anywhere and still be in my home at the same time. Yeah. Um, so today we watched the film The Bank Dick from 1940, starring W.C. Fields. Jeremy, how did it feel this time around? I love this movie. I've seen it a dozen times. I can quote many, many of the lines verbatim. It's It's always fun to watch and I always notice new stuff. That's great because uh, I had never seen this movie before Ooh. this episode. Yeah. So one of the reasons that I chose this film was actually based on your recommendation because I know we had wanted to do a W.C. Fields feature. Um, I haven't really seen a lot of his work other than some shorts here and there or like clips from his films. Yep. So I'd been wanting to talk about him on the show and I reached out to you because you're like a big W.C. Fields person. So I feel like you're the expert here today. And um, I was just watching this for the first time. Yeah, and I'm I'm in no way an expert. I'm all self-taught. I, I love all the, the old school comedians and I was forced, forced to watch them. Uh, my father made me watch all this stuff when I was a kid. And uh, and like the, the memes say, I was then not able to associate with my peers in any way because, you know, for what uh, Halloween, I believe it was first grade or kindergarten, I went as Charlie Chaplin and apparently I got really mad at one of my friends for not knowing who that was. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yes. I would have known who you were if that makes you feel better. I don't know if it does. It doesn't really, but I appreciate you saying it makes me feel better. So thank you. <laughs> um, so we're going to do just a brief synopsis of the film, The Bank Dick, known as The Bank Detective in the UK because couldn't say dick. They have, And they have spotted dick. So like, what's the problem, right? That's a great point, actually. Why Why the problem with the word? We all knew it meant detective, whatever. Thank you. Yeah, just take your weird color with a U and just, you know, go back over the pond. Unless you're one of our British listeners and then we really appreciate you and like you and see you. No, um, then that cheerio and stay tuned for even more. <laughs> I do spell theater, R-E, if we're being honest. As do I. So there you go. Um, okay, so here's a synopsis of the film. Um, before I get into the synopsis, I have to tell you something disappointing. I I did not love this film as much as I thought it would. I thought I would love it a lot more. And I think it's because it has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. The expectations were so high. So I I was a little bit like, 
I liked it, but I was a little bit disappointed in terms of where my expectations were. I can get that. I didn't know it had a hundred percent. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, I had hundred percent expectations. Um, so but anyway, okay. So here's the synopsis. This film is about a man named Egbert Suset. Although it looks like Souse, and they talk about it right off the beginning, because Souse kind of sounds like a louse, but no, it's Suset. Um, so he's kind of like this ne'er-do-well drunkard who loves to be at the saloon and loves to smoke his cigar, and his family is all women, and they all hate him. They are all nagging him constantly, and it's like a mix because they're not wrong, but they're so harsh, and he's so obnoxious, so it's a great comedic, like, uh, duality there. Um, and they're always like, ah, why don't you do better for yourself? You're the worst. We hate everything about you. You're just going to go get drunk again. So once again, yes, our protagonist goes to the bar to start his day. The bar is called the black pussy. So that's a thing. Just saying that. Um, yikes, I want to say, but you know, it was, I guess, different back then, whatever. Okay. So he goes to the bar, starts off his day. He's clearly an exaggerator. He bumps into a director there. The director is like, what am I going to do? There's no director for my picture. He's drunk. And WC Fields is like, I'm a director audience at home. He's not a director. He just likes to make stuff up. (laughs) So they're like, great. Come to the set and direct. So he does. He goes to the set, which is in the middle of their town. And his family sees him and does some funny pranks on him. And then um, and then when the bartender walks by, he has to follow the bartender because that's like his calling in life to just go where this bartender goes. So anyway, he's following the bartender. Um, while all this is happening, there is a robbery at the bank. Two guys are holding up the bank and uh, they're making a getaway. And W.C. Fields accidentally stops them just by being a drunk person and so one of them gets away one of them gets caught and so he gets all the credit for like stopping this robbery um (laughs) so they're like ah the only way to repay you for this is to hire you as our bank detective and or bank dick and also i love that he's like not really getting paid they're like um you're really behind on your mortgage so we're just gonna really pay your mortgage back with this job but like whatever As you can all imagine, he's not great at his job, but hilarity ensues. The way he interacts with customers is funny. He constantly finds excuses to go to the bar. Um, And then, so his daughter, he has like an adult daughter played by Una Merkel, who is going to marry this. You didn't see it, but Jeremy did a chef's kiss. She's great. She's fantastic. All the women in this, in his family are played to perfection. I could easily watch a movie with just them, but I'm not going to interrupt. Nope. And then we're going to get into that because they were amazing. Um, And so his daughter is going to marry someone that works at the bank, who's also lovely and who pops up in tons of films too. Um, It's his name is Grady Sutton, the actor. And then, um, W.C. Fields gets into this bananas conversation with a guy at a bar that's like, you got to invest in these bonds. So he gets Grady to invest in the bonds, but he gets him to take out money before it's really his. So it's like he's going to get a bonus in a couple days and he's like, well, just borrow from the bank and you'll put it back when you get your bonus. But that very day, a bank inspector comes to balance the books. Oh, no. What are they going to do if he gets caught? He'll go to jail for embezzling, even though he did embezzle. Whatever. It's a, whatever. So... W.C. Fields tries to keep the bank inspector from inspecting through various means. He gets him sick, which is like he gets him drunk, but like has something put in his drink. It's a whole it's a whole thing. Um, And in the end, before the bank inspector can really inspect, the bank gets robbed again. 
and W.C. Fields is taken hostage. And once again, he accidentally foils the bank robber and he gets paid a giant reward for foiling the bank robber. He gets paid a giant amount from the film director people because he came up with this amazing film story and they're going to make it and he's going to direct it. And the bonds ended up being a good investment. So he gets half the money from the bonds (laughs) from his daughter's husband who she married. So it all ends up really well for him. And I do feel like the moral of the film is money can make you happy. And that's okay. <laughs> so that's that's kind of the bank deck. Oh, oh, and the very end is even though he has all this wealth, all this money, the second he sees the bartender, he has to follow him back to the bar. So that's kind of like the little button on the film. Mm-hmm. So that is the bank deck in a nutshell. Jeremy, let's dive in. Please Great. share with me what you love about this film. That's what Shemp, uh, Shemp Howard, who plays the um, uh, the bartender in this. Uh, and and again, uh, I mean, I can go into a million things, but before we dive in, I do want to do show and tell really fast. Um, and there's so many fun things to talk about with the world of W.C. Fields, also with just the film itself. So, and I understand why you might not have loved it. It does have a lot of hype. I came to it on my own by accident. So that's that's one of the reasons why I love it. My father wanted to show me like Never Give a Sucker an Even Break or something because he was like, you'll like this ventriloquist puppet. And I was like, that guy sucks, but the drunk, he's funny. Um, so anyway, uh, for show and tell today, I have this very cool item. So if you all can see, or I will describe it to you, it says Universal Pictures. As you can see, it's an old brass medallion. And you can see it's on a very old lanyard as well. Uh, And it says Universal Pictures on it. And then on the back, you will see, hold on. It says W.C. Fields. Yes, yes, yes. Dressing Room room six. 6, W.C. Fields. And six is like a chaotic number. So of course his dressing room would be six. Right. So what they did was instead of like having a star on whatever, you would take these these medallions and you just move it from dressing room to dressing room to dressing room. And I don't know how I got this one, but I got it. There it is. WC Fields. That is so, so cool. Cool, Audience at home, it's very cool. It's a medallion. I wish you could all see it. Maybe we'll post that picture online so everyone can see it thank you for sharing that that's very cool you're very welcome i very rarely get to show it off so thank you and do we know what picture that's from we don't know no idea not a clue probably something later in life which is why somebody may be able to get their hands on it in the first place the fact that it has even made it to me after all these years is unbelievable but it got in, in my dad's hands and then whoop, into me plus he started at paramount so it would have had to be later because yeah. of universal yeah well that's very cool um so I also want to mention, I think, I don't know, again, I don't know a lot about W.C. Fields, so I was reading up on him today, um, but the writer of this film is listed as Mahatma Kane Jeeves. It's W.C. Fields' like pen name, and it's a, an old gag, like an old Broadway vaudeville gag of my hat, my cane, Jeeves, right? So he took that like little joke and made it into his pen name, and this was one of the first films where I think he had complete creative control over the script. Is that mm-hmm. right? Do you know that, about that? That is, and it's also one of the reasons why you can see, if you've seen any of his old black and white, oh, well, they're all black and white, all of his old shorts, right? Those little newsreel ones like him at the golf course and things like that. A lot of those types of bits pop up in a lot of his movies, and he uses a couple of them in this one. He uses a couple of them in Never Give a Sucker an Even Break, um, uh, you know, uh, My Little Chickadee, all sorts of ones. So, uh, yeah, it's super cool, and he changes his name for every single one of them. It's never the same pen name 
name. He always uses a different fake name when he's writing the script. Do you know off the top of your head what some of the other ones are? Uh, it's okay if you don't. I'm putting no, you on the spot. I wish I did. Uh, but they're all like, like you know, Smedley, Jay Snodgrass. It's always some like weird over the top cartoon type name. Always. And it stands out when you're watching the credits you're like oh that's a silly name i wonder who that is and then you look it up and you're like oh of course it's wc fields of course right. he would do that in his own film yeah you know and he and he also loved 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 to take shots at uh show business and you can see i mean like he even writes in a film into his film so he can make fun of film people you know because it's what he knows so well yeah, and how ridiculous they are. The fact that they would hire him off the street to direct a picture and take everything he says so seriously, even though he is completely making it up. Actually, that was one of my notes that I wrote down. I was like, why does everyone believe him? Is it just because he is an old straight white man who, well, he's drunk the entire time. But like the woman in the car in the beginning believes mm -hmm. him over her own chauffeur. The Hollywood producer believes him, even though he's meeting him in a bar when he's mm -hmm. clearly plastered i'm like why does everyone believe yeah. it uh, even even og even og ogilvy and they know like right at the beginning it's like your father seems nice yes we think so you know like i mean we we all know he's a terrible terrible human but he his it's his confidence and everything else wc fields if nothing else is the consummate con man because he will insert himself with full bore uh, um, confidence, literally, into any situation. And like the best thing is, is he's able to always drop one or two things where you're like, yeah, you know, I used to know Fatty Arbuckle, Charlie Chaplin, and you know, the rest of them. Knights used to 10 bar, you know, like it's just this type of thing. You're like, okay, fine. He's using the terminology. He seems to know what he's talking about. Until he like breaks your car or until he ruins your picture. Or right, or pulls a gun on a child, which he does in this, which I love, you know. Uh, to be fair, that child shouldn't, that was a very realistic looking gun the child had. Oh yeah. And I don't think the child should have had a gun in the store, nor do I think W.C. Fields should have been allowed to have a gun at all. So. And, and again, through the modern lens, we can look at it like, why wasn't didn't have an orange tip? If you were to tell somebody back then, it's like, why doesn't your gun have an orange tip? They would be like, what the hell are you talking about? Now here, drink this cup of cream. Because it's good for you. The right, milk exactly. is good for you. Yes, it, it builds strong bones and mucus. Um, so I actually want to do a cast shout out too, because what I was surprised by as well, I did not expect the supporting cast to be so strong and full of like actual, like very famous comedic people. Yep. So I want to shout out, we mentioned Una Merkel earlier. Yep. She's in 42nd Street. She's, she's in Destry Rides again. Like she's a legit... 30s actress and she is in this film to very comedic effect and yeah and she even shows like serious chops right at the top when she comes in and throws herself melodramatically onto the table and is just like my sunday school teacher said they saw my father coming out of a saloon the other day and that father was smoking a pipe right and then she goes for it she's like i'll kill myself i'll starve myself it's not that hard and then she totally breaks character with, I did it yesterday afternoon. She she has a vocal control. She understands the beats. I love the way uh, Cora Witherspoon, who plays the wife, is shoveling bread into her mouth. Like, what's up with her? Like, she can't even hear the lines. She's eating so much. Good potatoes. You know, and, uh, and Jesse Ralph, who plays the mother-in-law, the three of them together are just perfect. The ability to, and, and you mentioned Una Merkel's chops, but what is interesting about this is they are so unkempt in the beginning. Oh, they yeah. are like 
four, well, it's four ladies because it's the three um, older ladies and the one young child, but they are completely unkempt, very quote unquote unladylike for the time, right? They are sassy. They've got these witty, biting remarks. And then by the very end of the film, they are the picture of posh elegance. And these actresses are playing that like they were not this unkempt wild bunch the entire earlier part of the film. Um, So even that's a comment too on money, on people with money of like, well, if you have money, you can act the part. You can get away with anything. He can still be a lush when he's got money, but it's okay now because he's got money. Exactly. All of those actresses completely fit the bill. They did a fantastic job. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just, I love the dynamic of the family top to bottom, you know, how, and I know it's playing on an old trope, the hating your mother-in-law, but the the two of them work so well. And even at the end when everything's perfect, you know, he's just like, oh, you know, give me a kiss, daddy. I'll give you two of them. Right. You know, like it's so lovely. When he gets to the mother-in-law, he still does the sideways face and doesn't even touch his lips to her forehead you know like he still has to maintain that one on his way out but yeah the the supporting cast you've got shemp howard you've got one of the the three stooges mm-hmm. um you've got franklin pangborn uh you know of so many great comedic films you know uh he's done a, he does a bunch of wc fields he uses the same uh, cast of characters over and over and over again um and uh um what's his name uh, i think it's richard purcell uh who plays yeah the emaciated thin guy who's you know at the bar and then after at dr stall's place uh it's just and uh, oh yeah and grady sutton as well he's in a bunch of his stuff as well but i mean everybody in this he uses these people over and over and over again and he's just comfortable with them he knows their beats and their uh and you can see just how at ease he is. And I do appreciate the use of women in comedy um, in general, because I feel like women are often left out of the comedy conversation, especially when we get to the 60s, 70s, 80s. Mm-hmm. So to have films by like comedy masters of the day to incorporate women and utilize their comedic chops is very cool. Yeah, definitely. You know, and and, and some great uh lines completely at wc field's expense which means he was writing them you know for them to go after him you know just like you want me to throw a rock at him ma my respect your father dear what kind of rock that was a line i wrote down because i was like that is perfect her timing was perfect that line is perfect <laughs> yep it, it's yeah. just and like, like just certain things you know the line about prison uh what's a what's a six letter word for embezzlement prison prison, prison. <laughs> uh you know it, it has uh, yeah I, again like so many great lines uh you know especially when when within the family i, I also love the one where it's just like what does it matter daddy don't you love me don't you strike that child not gonna tell me i don't love her um, you know, like the uh, W.C. Fields violence towards children is one of my favorite things about him. He was going to throw a large potted plant at his child before he was stopped. That's yep. and it, that's what's interesting, too. He's notoriously like his whole shtick is like, how do we like a man who doesn't like uh, children and dogs? Because that's kind of like the character he plays. His character hates children. His character hates dogs. And yet we still like him somehow. And it's interesting you should say that. I don't like I don't know if I particularly like him and I don't know if I'm particularly rooting for him. I just I like watching him bumble from set piece to set piece. And I think it's one of the reasons that this has such a high score on uh, Rotten Tomatoes is because 
when you talk about structure for comedic film, this is kind of perfect. Every, almost every single scene in this, other than the exposition scenes, can almost be taken as sketches on their own. Well, even you can tell with the Hollywood thing where it doesn't quite fit. He kind of makes it fit, but it's a funny sketch on its own. So they're like, we got to fit it in there. How do we connect it? And yeah, you're right. Each scene is like a sketch that connects to the next one, but then connects with the whole greater picture. And, and you can look at the larger ones, him just bragging about foiling the guys even though he had nothing to do with it the first time he's sitting there reading a paper he one of the guys gets knocked out by his compatriot uh, uh filthy mcnasty and then filthy mcnasty throws the gun over his shoulder to get rid of him with hits into fields and he falls over he literally doesn't lift a finger to get the first one and i just love the fact that even just coming back to this when he's talking to the kids right when he's bragging in front of the kids you know he's just doing all the smoking tricks it's just a little encapsulated comedy moment but it's just so perfect like here's this guy who feels really important bragging to a bunch of children and showing how cool he is that he can smoke well and i feel like also back then because so many stars came from vaudeville they all had these weird human tricks so i feel like constantly in films they're like how can we incorporate these weird human tricks so in this one you definitely see it with the cigarette uh what jeremy's describing audience at home is that there's the scene where wc fields as he mentioned is showing off to a bunch of kids and he takes a cigarette his lit cigarette and puts it in his ear and makes it look like he's smoking out of his mouth through his ear. And then he puts it like under his nose and makes it look like he's holding it there. And so, you know, it looks dangerous and a little scary, but he's fine. It's okay. That's definitely like a weird vaudeville trick as is just his, um, there were certain things he was so graceful with. Like there was that part with the phone where he like hits the phone and the, the earpiece, the receiver like lands in his hand and gorgeously. And I was like, Ooh, that's probably another little vaudeville trick. Like he, I know he was a juggler back in the day. Yep, like that's sure how he was. got his start. So I don't know. I was trying to notice things like that, where I was like, look how graceful you are. You, you kind of like squat man who does it. You don't expect to be graceful. Look at that. And and you can see the, that dexterity. I love that you brought that up, by the way. You can see his dexterity in some of those vaudeville bits all over the place, including that last moment when he's walking off at the end, when he's in the tux and he has nothing to do and he's just hitting a stone with his walking stick and there's a piece of debris there and you see him kick out to the side, but he kicks his other his right foot out to the right and knocks the box in the other direction. He used to do this juggling bit, this amazing juggling bit with uh, cigar boxes. And that was one of the things that he used to do in the bit. So when he just knocks that box to the side, that's something from his vaudeville days. Um, the old, oh, him constantly walking the wrong way out of the door, like towards the wall part putting on his top hat but holding his cane over his shoulder so the top hat goes on the top of the cane and not on his head and then he's like where's my hat right <laughs> vaudeville bit like and he and he does those so effortlessly because he did like you said he spent decades perfecting some of these things um you know and, and one of my favorites it's not in this one i love his bar bits his bar bits are my favorites uh the one that i love in this one is when he asks for a depth bomb right and he pours the shot and then he drinks it and he's got the water chaser and so he drinks the shot puts the glass down and then washes his hands in the water chaser and then wads up the the napkin and then kicks it with his foot right the same bit and then even the second one is like can i have another water i don't like to bathe in the same water twice you know just like these little throwaway bits it's so great and he used to do this other thing when he was pouring a bottle of beer into a glass as soon as it got to the drips at the end he'd wring it out you'd see him try to wring the bottle out until that last drop falls and then he put it down you know it's these are these are just little things he probably just cultivated after work and everything else and they just they they work effortlessly 
uh, in these movies. Like when he's trying to clean his eye out with the corner of his jacket, and then the guy comes to shake his hand, and he hands him the corner of the jacket, and then the guy's shaking the corner, and he's like, oh, it must have been a gnat. Just perfect, flawless physical comedy that you just don't see anybody doing anymore. So it's the combo, I guess what makes it, is the combo of physical comedy plus these like witty extra one-liners, these witty extra bits. Now, I'm not going to lie. I prefer, of course I do. I prefer Marx Brothers one-liner. Like I am a Groucho Marx lady. That's what I prefer. It's just my preference. But I was surprised by how witty the script was because he's playing a buffoon, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't often expect a buffoon to have witty things to do or say, but the witty moments of like, or even just they're not so much physical comedy, but the moments of when the man next to him, he's ordering drinks for him and they keep getting doubles. And so he takes all four in his hand and he's like, I'll return the glasses later. <laughs> Just, that's hilarious. That's always going to be hilarious. And it's yep. so simple. And it's not necessarily physical comedy and it's not necessarily witty. So I'm like, what is that? What is that like masterfulness of comedy that we're liking there? Yeah. And, and even just, you know, and he used to have literally a box full of jokes. It was called his joke box. They sold it at auction a bunch of years ago. Uh, and I somebody bought it for like 1500 bucks. I saw it in the auction. I was like, I'm going to bid on that. And I was like, how much do you think it'll go for though? Oh, we don't know. I was like, I got $40 right now if you want to <laughs> give it to me. One slip of paper. And it was literally just a wooden box full of little slips of paper with jokes on it. And you can see just that little thing where he's like, uh, would you, when he's talking to the film director, would you be interested in directing and taking kind of the profits? He's like, um, was I in here last night? And did I spend a $20 bill? Yeah, you did. Oh, thank God. I thought I'd lost it. You know, like it's such a great, stupid joke for a drunk to have. But you're like, oh, yeah, this is this is a really witty, well-written script. Um, you know, like even the, the reveal of going to the doctor's office and seeing this emaciated, unhealthy looking man. And he goes, first line out of his mouth, first thing, cut out all health foods. You know, it's it's perfect. It's you know, he's playing all the tropes. It's bad doctor. It's bad detective. It's, you know, bad husband. It's all bad everything. And it's perfect. Maybe because it's so universal and he has it's like this everyman kind of quality that everyone can relate to. That's what keeps it. That's what makes it fresh. Yeah. Oh, I see. I see there. Um, Because I was re that's kind of like what he's known for playing scoundrels, con men and everyman. Yeah. So it's like he's got all three kind of under his umbrella. Yeah, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but, you know, like um, Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems is very largely the same character, just with different foibles. In a more stressful environment. Yeah. I haven't seen the film because everyone said it's so stressful. I'm like, I don't have time for stress. <laughs> I don't have time for the stress. It definitely is. It's it's high stress. Yes. Um, yeah, in every which way. But it, it is like, you know, you're seeing somebody who has obvious skills and talents, not using any of them correctly and making one bad decision after another and then just seeing what the results are and in a drama you know that that's going to lead to tragedy and in a comedy you know it's going to lead to success and especially if you like post-depression era comedies where it's like and then not only is it success it's like rich and if he can do it you can do it too right. that's it makes you feel even better yeah what i was kind of enjoying this time too was the arcs and the attempt at like full circle moments so i mentioned earlier i think the arc of this piece is like we go from having no money and being unkempt to having a lot of money and we're fancy now, but also we're still going to do the things that we did before because we like them. 
So it's kind of like money does buy happiness, but we're still ourselves. Like there's kind of this arc of, I guess that would be, I don't know what the arc was. I don't think he actually learned anything, but that's why I don't, yeah, I honestly don't think, I don't think anyone did. I I don't, I think like they're miserable at the top because they're like, you know, like, oh, someone who's calling on the phone, it's probably the Johnsons who want their mower back. Don't answer it. We're not done with it yet. You know, uh, like little things like, oh, you stopped the, the robbery at the bank. They have the mortgage on this house, you know, like little things like that. And so those things go away, but you can see they're all still together. He's still acting the same. He's still smoking. He still wants to do things on his own. I don't think that there's a, you know, much of a, a, an, a redemptive arc for him. I think it gets easier for the family, right? Yes. It's just like, oh, now all of his horribleness doesn't matter so much because all of his get rich quick schemes that have never worked, they all worked at once. Yeah. And now it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. And now we're comfortable. We can you do whatever it. we want. Mm-hmm. So I liked that. And then I loved that there was like the saloon to saloon and car to car thing. Because yep. in the beginning, the first thing we do is we see him follow the bartender to the bar. And the last thing we see in the film is him following the bartender to the bar. But then mm-hmm. we get the car thing too. So one of the first things we see in the film is there's a car, like a chauffeur and a rich lady. The chauffeur's trying to fix the car. He goes up acts like he knows what he's doing to try to fix the car. The chauffeur is like, you don't know what you're talking about. But the rich lady's like, listen to him. And so he does. The car breaks. And then we end with this incredible car chase. Insane car chase. fantastic car chase. Um, So like, yeah, wait, let's talk about the car chase. Because I know, I, again, I have not seen a lot of W.C. Fields films, but I have seen another car chase that he did. I think it was in Never Give a Sucker an Even Break, I think. Or it could have been in um, If I Had a Million. It might, it was part of a shorts festival. Like they did um, comedy shorts. They were showing up comedy shorts at Old Town Music Hall mm-hmm. and they take clips from different films and things like that. So yeah. it was one of those. It was fantastic then. And I was wondering if that's a W.C. Fields thing, if car chases are his thing. Yes, he loved cars. He was he was a lot like Laurel and Hardy in that respect. You know, like they were new. They were something that you could buy, you know, like something that cost a lot of money. It was a status symbol. But again, nobody really knew how to use them. There weren't even roads for the most part, almost no rules, you know. So it was a great thing that a, a rich person could do. Um, but yeah, the car chase in this one is absolutely insane. Also, the car chase uh, in If I Had a Million uh, is fantastic. If you haven't seen that one, it's a wonderful film. It's five basically short stories all in one film. Uh, millionaire is dying. His family are vultures. He doesn't want to give it to them. So he gets a phone book and he takes an eyedropper and drops a drop of water on the book and the five people that it hits, those he's going to give a million dollars to. And some uh-huh. of the stories are funny. Some of them are not. Uh, and, the, and the funniest one is Fields. He's driving with his wife and he gets cut off and run into a ditch and his car is ruined. So he spends his million dollars on 20 cars and 20 drivers. And he just drives along when somebody cuts him off he gets in the next car, drives them off the road, destroys both of them, get, then gets in the third car, then drives away. Um, so his whole story is about revenge on the road. It's like the ult- it's like the first road rage movie or thing ever made. Um, it's per- perfect. But yes, this this charge race is insane. It's worthy of of McQueen or anything else. These are this nineteen forties. They're throwing, they're, they're, they're spinning and sliding out into corners and hitting buildings, almost hitting people. 
Um, uh, they're, they're doing live stunts that go over other actors, um, you know, like driving off road in these giant roadsters. It's absolutely madness. To me, what was mind blowing was when they drive over the ditch, they're driving over real humans, yep. narrowly missing them. These are real people. This was a real stunt. It looks incredible. And how many times they go over them four times, I think it's twice, two cars go over two and then cars, the motorcycle. One motorcycle. Yeah. Okay. It was gorgeous. I was like this, I rewound it. Cause I was like, this is a beautiful stunt and I need to fully appreciate this work. Yeah. And, and it's straight up. It's, it's all Warner brothers, you know, like uh, WC fields, you can see Warner brothers cartoons stealing from WC fields all over the place. Uh, just little things when all of the, the workers are going and they're swinging their axes, just as the car is going over them. And the last one catches the bumper and he flips up into the car and then then nasty pulls the gun on him and he just dives right out again into a forward roll, you know, just like, whoop, whoop. and I believe it actually has the sound effect as he comes in and out. Um, and then as the motorcycle goes through, you get the gunshots, you know, pat, pat, as each guy pops out on a wire until he comes out at the very end with just the handlebars. Uh, they're, 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 uh, yeah, they're, uh, Looney Tunes gags. That was what I wrote down. I was like, this feels like a Looney Tunes cartoon with real people. And then I also wrote down, this feels like Mr. Magoo. If Mr. Magoo, instead of being blind, was just a drunk person. Yep. Constantly causing havoc and everything works out okay. W.C. Fields um, asides while he's driving are some of my favorite things in the movie. You know, the resale value of this car is going to be nil. <laughs> the, the, just the part with the catalpa trees. I was yep. That was very funny to me. He starts giving the bad guy a tour. And he's like, look at these catalpa trees. And then he brings them up again later. And you're like, he oh. loves playing tour guide he loves lompoc when he's when he's uh taking around snoopington right after he's been uh, roofied and and walking through the town he's like we well, got three drug stores one of them actually sells drugs you know like he's like he loves playing tour guide he loves being in charge and, and being that guy um and it's just so fun watching him do it because he's like the ultimate improv artist everything is yes and you know it's just like oh and you score a touchdown in these clothes uh Lose the hat, right? Full tuxedo, football helmet. You can see it, you know? It's just, it's perfect. Well, and even the little buttons that they put on things, like, um, I loved the appreciation to detail or the attention to detail for that. Like, when he loses his uh, his bank hat, his it looks like a chauffeur hat, like a little driver hat. It falls off. They turn around. The bad guy ends up getting it and putting it back on his head and giving it to him. Cute little moments that resolve issues that you don't expect. You know, I, I appreciate a little buttons like that. I thought that was great. And I love that moment specifically because you're like, oh, is this just a cutesy ass moment? Because like, oh, we lo lost my lost my skull cap, whatever, whatever he calls it. Right. And they back up, they turn around, they go to get it. And as soon as Nasty gets out and picks up the hat, he tries to escape and run off. And then Nasty shoots out the rear view mirror and he stops. He's like, oh, sorry, I didn't notice you weren't in there. You know, like he makes some comment under his breath as he's coming back in, you know, like taking off the windshield, you know, it's like, you, I'm driving, you clean it. The next thing on my list was our favorite jokes and gags. So I feel like we've been really talking about that. Oh, Do yes. you have any other favorite jokes and gags that you would like to share at this time? Um, we've done a couple of them. The um, like, want me to throw a rock at him? Respect your father. What kind of rock? Um, gotta be probably the funniest line in the entire movie. Um, and I also do love um, the daughter at the top. You know, it's like, I'll starve myself. It really isn't that hard. 
I did it yesterday afternoon. Side note, she's the only one that looks normal of the of all of them. The rest of the family looks totally disheveled. And then when she comes in and she's like, I'm a dramatic 30s actress and she looks beautiful. You're like, oh, I see you're we're going to be OK. Like you're the romantic lead here. Oh, you can't be disheveled. Oh, I love it. Um, it's like my my fiance, Og Ogilvy, Og Ogilvy. Sounds like a bubble in the bathtub. What a great name. Og Ogilvy, fantastic. Yeah, all the names in this, including, which I will have to read off right now, the youngest daughter, whose name is Elise May Adele Brunch Suze. I thought it was Elsie May. Pardon me, Elsie May Adele Brunch Suze. Yes, that was it. It's just, it's so, it's so good. I love it. Um, and Souse also being shorthand for drunk is just so great. Oh, I am. Yeah, I was thinking it rhymed with Laos. No, you're correct. Souse. He soused. Mm-hmm. Got it. You got it. So that's it. So Edmund, Edward Souse, Suzanne, accent grave over the final E. I mean, again, even those two ladies at the top, their, their diction, their characterization, it's so good. Um, I also have to point out uh, the director, the drunk director, who I have, uh, whose line I love is they're walking him back and forth over and over and over again. He's like, can we stop? That one moment was like, oh, can we stop? And they won't stop. Um, I just, I love it. Uh, but my favorite uh, is is the, the director's name, which is Apismo Clam. Great name. Don't get better than that. Apismo Clam for the director goes like, I'm perfectly all right. You know, he's, it's just perfect. Uh, 30s drunk. One of my favorite moments also had to do with a drunk person. It is when um, Snoopington it gets drunk. Yep. Um, and they take him to a hotel to kind of sober up. Well, and also and... he doesn't get drunk. Just to just interject here, he uh, Fields goes up to uh, goes up to um, uh, Shemp and he says, "Has Mickey Finn come in?" Right. So Mickey Finn, like, slip him a Mickey if you've ever heard it. That's the Mickey Finn, uh, and he puts it in his light rye highball, and he basically he roofies him. That's what it is. For those of you, yeah, he roofies him. He has the appearance, let's say, of being a very drunk person even though he is not that drunk. He's drugged. Um, Yikes. Okay, so anyway, uh, they get a room in this hotel. They go upstairs. They come back in again. And um, there's a lady who's kind of outraged by this whole thing. There are drunk people in our town. Oh, I thought this was a family place kind of thing. And so he brings it back in and the hotel guy asks about it and he goes, oh, no, it's the same man. He just fell out the window. I caught him (laughs) on the first bounce. (laughs) That's a great moment line and thought process. I liked all that. I love that one. Got him on the first bounce. Also Snoopington with his eyeglasses. So to keep him from inspecting the books, W.C. Fields will do anything. Um, he will crush his hand. He will do all sorts of things. But he he Snoopington makes a comment like, I can't see without my glasses. So W.C. Fields breaks them. And he's like, I hope this doesn't keep you from being able to balance the books. And he's like, don't worry, it won't. And he opens a case and there's like, Four more. Uh-huh. He has a whole sheet just of his glasses. And I loved that. I really liked that as well. Um, and then we cut all, called out all my other ones because I think my favorite, my top two were the four drinking glasses and the line about the rock. And and also uh, from just from the drinking perspective, watching W.C. Fields and Shemp, who are playing a drunk and a bartender, react to the Hollywood man, take shots of absinthe 
is so funny to me. I mean, like, again, it's like somebody not understanding how drugs work and being like, oh, all this cocaine? Okay, sure. You know, like, all in once. And then, like, and not reacting to it and just being like, oh, well, you know, like, it's late. I should get to bed. You know, and not realizing, like, what did you just do? I just, I, like, those, the, again, physical takes were so good. Uh, because you're a, a Marx Brothers fan, there is a wonderful Marx Brothers-esque line that I always love. Um, uh, and I also love how he keeps... Uh, uh, <laughs> piling on when Snoopington's drunk, drugged, and he's like, oh, I need to throw up. Can I go into an alley? He's like, it's only six blocks. You know, like, are you hungry? I'll get you some goulash. You know, like, he just keeps making him as sick as humanly possible. Breaded veal with tomato sauce and, uh, oh, what was the dessert? It was like a custard or something, oh. and I was like, oh, <laughs> and it sounds delicious, but also, I get it. So disgusting. What I was thinking was this poor man just needs Taco Bell. If he could have access to Taco Bell, he would feel so much better. <laughs> that wasn't a thing back then. No, and I think even describing it would probably make him throw up. True. You just have to get it for him and go, trust me, it yep. is the cure. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> oh, I got it. The WC yes. Fields line. Uh, the, that's really a Marx Brothers line. When he's on the phone and uh, she goes, uh, and the woman on the phone goes, at the tone, it'll be 27 minutes till uh, seven. He goes, actually, it'll be 27 minutes till six. Get me Dr. Saul. Could you speak up? Uh, could you just talk a little louder? If I had, if I could talk any louder, I wouldn't need a telephone. Very Groucho. Very, very Marx Brothers. Very Chico. Very Groucho Marx. Yes. Chico too. Chico yes. too. They would both do it in different ways. Yeah, exactly. I do want to talk about um, W.C. Fields just for a minute, like his background. Um, I think we've mentioned a lot of it, but I want to just bring it in. Like W.C. Fields uh, was born in 1880. He was born in Pennsylvania. He got his start in the vaudeville world being a silent juggler. And apparently during his juggling years, that was the only time he was sober because he didn't want to physically be unable to juggle. Apparently he didn't want the shakes, right? And then he had to and he had to be, and he'd be fluid. And again, like you said, he was so in control of his movements, almost balletic, especially with his hands. You can see it in almost everything he does. Like even that moment at the beginning where he goes to help the chauffeurs fixing the um, uh, the the engine, which he eventually drops out of the car, <laughs> drops the whole engine out of the car. But I love it. He goes like, maybe it's the wheelbase. And as you see him lean in, he's so deftly pushes all the tools off the bumper into the cavity of the car and he makes it look so organic and i've seen this movie a dozen times every time i watch him do this move i don't see the prep he's got his hands there and as he moves forward he it just organically happens it's it's like you said his 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 gestures are that controlled they are that balletic what did you notice this viewing that you hadn't before you know you mentioned you see different details each time I, for things uh, that I like to notice, uh, or like little things, is I notice, um, uh, I'm noticing more things like reoccurring bits. And there's such, and you mentioned this too, which is wonderful, the symmetry in all of this. We start with the family, we end with the family. We start with the bar and the whistling, we end with the bar and the whistling. We start with a bank robbery, we end with a bank robbery. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and even just the little things, there's such good payoff to all of it. Uh, he even manages to throw back in the Hollywood angle. Like I, I, I told him the story to my boss and they love it and they want to buy it. Right. And that's why I'm back. You know, like as insane as that is, it's not more insane that I got a picture deal from a TikTok video, you know. So, you know, like there's that as well. Um, I also 
you know, like, and we'll talk about this in the modern lens, just a couple of things that I look at that I go, you know, like they were a little cringy and then maybe they get a little more cringy and then maybe slightly less cringy for a reason or two and then, and then come back. Um, and, and for this one, I was really watching all the supporting players and I, I just thought that this is such a wonderful ensemble piece. Everybody who plays a character really gets at least one moment to shine. Yeah. Right? Like, whole complete focus and do one bit that's just you i love when um when uh, uh the daughter pulls og onto the the porch and they sit canoodling in that one chair together right yeah. and she she gives him the sweetest saddest little just kiss on the corner of the mouth like on the cheek you know and he, and he's and all he can you know he just goes uh golly you know <laughs> yeah. and then she does it again and it's just shucks you know like it's yeah. those those little moments they're just so like for me that's like a joe para moment you know it's not all it's not over the top comedic it's just so sweet and so on the nose it comes across as comedy and it was endearing too oh, I, you totally know totally endearing yeah you are on Og's side i feel like especially after that you do not want him to be taken advantage of and i think it boils down to that moment that's the yep. sweetness and cuteness of that moment yeah and i and i think that's also something that plays into it is like you see og wanting to make her happy by by listening to her father even though she's the first person to be like i'm gonna say that my father got you drunk and you bought a beefsteak mine right like this <laughs> yeah. we're, gonna, we're gonna get out of this somehow he's not to be trusted you shouldn't have done this um you know like so there's that yeah. too uh yeah i i'd like yeah. and again like the 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 women even when they show up on set you know and throwing the can of soup that knocks off his hat hitting him with the megaphone um the the two leads embracing you know it's like is she yeah. standing in a hole right yeah. like how can he play base football without you know and it's that back and yeah. forth and again like it's it's verbal aptitude they're great uh everyone who comes into the bar stall is great um you know, he's such an awful, horrible, you know, Nick Riviera type doctor, you know. The worst doctor. Wow. I'm so sorry for everyone in this town. But still, you're funny. You're funny in this moment. Pay my nurse and then she'll return your clothes. Yeah. I, lo I, <laughs> yes. I love that. And that's based in fact. That used to happen. That was what? real. Yeah. <gasps> Yeah, there were doctors back then that would actually do that, like to treat you. They would take your clothes and then they would treat you and then you have to pay oh them and get your clothes back. Yeah, isn't that nuts? Well, and back in the day, you only had like the clothes on your back. You did not have a lot of clothes. Right? Oh, no, that's horrible. Terrible. Wow. Yeah. He, that tracks them. And he can't take, it's so funny to me that the bartender picks up on W.C. Fields' code language, like the Mickey Finn stuff, like, but the doctor doesn't. He has to keep going for and he puts four into various things like he's pretending he's playing golf and saying <laughs> four and he tries to fit it in different ways and the doctor still doesn't get it till the very end i'm amazed i have watched that four scene so many times the right all the dumb <laughs> yeah. things he does right uh, right and then he yeah. goes four and he swings that cane and fields was a hell of a golfer he was very good I have watched this a thousand times i do not know if it's on purpose or not and i will never know the answer he swings that cane and he manages to break the glass casing around the glass bulb, but not the bulb itself. It's impressive. How do you, I think it was just, uh, just, I think it's supposed to wreck the whole damn thing. And it just, and it just so happened that he, cause the line is still there, right? 
he still goes. It's just like, oh, you should be more careful. Yeah, I might have hit that globe up there. And globe is bulb. So I think he was, he's kind of, and you see him looking, he's like, did I manage to just knock the glass around and not hit the bulb? That's amazing. I think he was almost a little in awe of himself. Ooh, so it's like a happy accident that still made it in. I think that's it. And you can tell, like, they only had X amount of takes. Because there's a couple of these takes where you see them mess up the line ever so slightly, and it still stays in. Yeah, you're right. It's probably because it involves something that breaks or something that they couldn't reshoot. So they were like, this is it. This is what we got. It's done. longer take. Yep, this is the one where I didn't shit myself. Here's the one where the ceiling didn't collapse. We get the one where I like uh, the gall, I say mess up gallbladder, but here we go. Um, I'm going to finish out his bio. It's really short. It's not a long one. But no, 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 because this was a lovely like tangent that we went on. So W.C. Fields, his real name is William Claude Dukenfield, which I was like, that's a fancy name. Ooh, and then he's like, no, 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 W.C. Fields. It's more... It's more fun. It's more Hollywood. Yes. Call me Johnny Cougar. Johnny Cougar. John Mellencamp is dead. Johnny Cougar lives forever. Oh, but I like that he picked like a less fancy name because he got his own brand. I know. William Claude Duncanfield. That's, you know, he sounds like he owns a yacht. It sounds like one of his made up names when he's writing something. Um, I think he actually uses it at one point as as one of his names. Oh, that is fun. That is fun. Um, but we mentioned he was a juggler, a silent juggler, I should again mention, in vaudeville. And then he started getting into work being a comedian and he ended up with the Ziegfeld Follies, which is like the highest you can go on the vaudeville circuit. If you know anything about old times, that's it. They even like do that in Singing in the Rain. I was literally about to say, if you if you see the montage of him going through vaudeville, right? Um... It's burlesque, vaudeville. Then Ziegfeld Follies. That's where he's got the tux on. He does the little kicks, right? That's it. Yes. Because then he's classy. And when you're classy, you don't have to try as hard, I guess. Yeah, you don't have to wear the American flag suit. But then he ends up doing, like, this comedic work gets him into doing film shorts. The film shorts lead to pictures. And eventually he gets to write them. Um, And we mentioned he had complete creative control over the script and for several scripts after. He's known for playing scoundrels, everymen, and buffoons. And um, in the end, we know that he was an alcoholic, that he he couldn't really work without drinking. I actually want to read you a quote from Phil Silver's autobiography. Hold on, if I can. Phil Silver's. I will vamp in the meantime. Yes, vamp in the meantime. Um, Go for it. So W.C. Fields, um, I just, uh, I was trying to tell my students who he was, and it's absolutely impossible because I, I was like, are there any modern equivalents that use the Fields voice? Right. Because like even in The Simpsons, it's like, oh, here's a bad John F. Kennedy. That's Mayor Quimby. Right. You know, like here's you know, here comes, uh, you know, every other character. But I was like, we don't really hear W.C. Fields anymore. You know, I think the time is right to bring back the Fields voice. It's irascible and slightly like I don't know how to quite describe it. It's like a toned down irascibility. Yeah. I found the quote. Oh, wonderful. So, okay. Uh, basically Phil Silvers had a small role in a film called Tales of Manhattan from 1942 and W.C. Fields always kept a flask on him at all times. And this is what Phil Silvers, uh, wrote about this. He said, one day the producers appeared on the set to plead with Fields, please don't drink while we're shooting. We're way behind schedule. Fields merely raised an eyebrow. Gentlemen, this is only lemonade for a little acid condition afflicting me. He leaned on me. Would you be kind enough to taste this, sir? I took a careful sip. Pure gin. I have always been a friend of the drinking man. I respect him for his courage to withdraw from the world of the thinking man. I answered the producers a little scornfully. It's lemonade. My reward? My scene was snipped out of the picture. 
So that was the <laughs> Phil Silver's commentary on it, which is fabulous and so fitting. Um, yeah. So I wanted to read that because I love that quote. And then eventually, sadly, um, alcoholism does become an issue for him. He dies in 1946 on Christmas, a day that he hated because he's very, you know, again, irascible. And he died of a gastric hemorrhage, um, Christmas 1946. So that's kind of like the W.C. Fields story. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And then just a fun question that I had for you. Yeah. There's a quote in this or a line in this where he's like, he talks about wearing disguises, how he has all these disguises at home. Mm -hmm. They only bring it in for a joke once. And I was like, okay, why does he not have disguises more in this? Like, why are there not more callbacks to this whole disguise thing? And why in the first place does he have disguises? I'm so curious. What are your thoughts on this? I think this was an obvious setup for a set piece, a comedic set piece that probably eventually got cut out of it. Mm. Um, Because we were able to do some of it, like him in a full cop uniform, obviously him with a giant fake askew mustache, right? Like it's very obvious, like, and there's the gag, right? And there it's full out. But I think that there could have been something like, oh, here's this other thing that he wrote. Like I'm dressed up as a woman, you know, and it's clearly him. I'm probably some incredibly insensitive blackface moment, you know, even though he even though he was not one of the people to usually do that. And as you can see, even in this film, he actually hired a black actor and did not get somebody in blackface, Um, which, you know, again, as cringy as it is, and it is super cringy, um, at least, at least it is, it is a real person, right? It's one of the things that I always liked about the Marx brothers, uh, even in a a day at the races that has the whole, um, um, you know, uh, um, the, the song and dance number, uh, mm-hmm. in, in the, in the ghetto area and they do blackface to escape. But the good thing is, is at least they hired actual black performers to do it because at the time they could have easily have gotten away with not doing that. Um, it, do, it doesn't yeah. make it any better. It really doesn't. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it really, it really we're going to talk about that in the modern really lives. So I was like, um, I got thoughts about it. Yes, but like, exactly. About- um, but uh, wait, I, I straight away. What was it uh, we're talking about? So it's basically that like they wrote this whole thing about like him wanting to wear disguises into the plot, but that's the only, everything else kind of gets closed and that's the only thing that doesn't really get closed or utilized other than it's a funny bit once. I think that's it. And also for him to be like, and it's also, I love, you talk about good, but it's like, uh, you know, if you see me, you know, you give me, you give me a sign, you know, like up here. It's like, no, there's too much, too much. Put it down, put it down, down here. The low one, low one. Yeah, there it is. Right? You know, like, again, those little, like, little asides. It's such, such a great organic moment. And we know we're not going to get the, the, the fruition to it because there's no reason for it. He has to be duped and he has to be taken hostage again at the end. Um, but the part, uh, And if you don't see me, we do. The, well, well, wait, no, don't do anything. Because <laughs> you won't see me and you won't see me. Right. And we never yeah. get it. Right. Like, I know it is yeah. a little bit of, of disappointment. It would be nice to have the, the 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 joke parade of all the stupid costumes. I thought that loop was going to get closed, but it didn't. They yeah. just it was a funny moment. Um, but that's the only one that doesn't really get get resolved, I think. Yeah, I think pretty much yeah. everything else. I mean, we even get the hearty hand clasp twice which I love. It's such a oh, great little it. SpongeBob moment. You know, it's just like, let me give you a hearty hand clap. So there's the saddest wet fish of a handshake you've ever seen. And then we get it twice. And I love that they give you the hand, the close up, so you can really see it. It's great. And it's the comment again on the rich people, yep. like making the rich people look bad, yeah. <laughs> out of touch, not strong. Yeah. So I thought, I thought that was great too. 
Um, something else I was noticing about this was, uh, at least on my copy, the copy that's like on the Criterion collection, they, they got what they have from a print. So if you look, there's still cue marks in it from where the projectionist would have shown it, which I thought was fascinating. Cause I'm like, oh, we don't even have any sort of sort of copy of this that might not be based off of a print that has the cue marks in it. So I, I don't know. I thought that was really interesting watching it. I had no idea. Yeah. Cause I, that mine's taken from the same one. So it must've been there. I just haven't noticed. Yeah. Oh, oh, cool. So if you're at home, take a look, you're going to see cue marks that projectionists would have used to known to flip to the other projector. Um, so yeah, I, I just, cause they take those out a lot when they, when they restore classic films. And right. I just thought it was interesting that they didn't do that, that it's still in this this copy. I love things like that, you know, and, and it works, you know, especially for something like the bank dick, which really does seem like a movie, Yeah, you know, it just jumps so crazily from one thing to the next. It's, it's such a movie. So I think that's kind of cool. Well, and I like stuff like that. Cause it makes me feel like I'm watching a film from back in the day, you know, I, I, yep. it puts me kind of in that time and place. So I personally love that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, check it out if you see it. Uh, and then I also, I wrote, yeah, life is better when you're rich is the moral of the story. It helps. Yeah. And also, uh, uh, you should be able to drink uh, whenever you want at any time, mm-hmm. even during work hours. Um, Which were only 10 to 3, side note. I know. The bank hours were 10 to 3. Um, also, don't know why somebody would need to wear a hat with a hole in the top for their hay fever. Never got that. Don't Wrote get it. Wrote that down, too. So curious. It's so weird. So weird. Yeah. I only wear this hat because it got a little hay fever. And I'm still like, uh, eh? What? I was wondering if it's a dust out of your eyes business. Like back in the past, everybody at home, you're not supposed to wear like full hats indoors. That's rude. You take your hat off indoors. So he had the top card out, carved out of his hat, but the sides up. So I was like, well, maybe it's his way of still being polite. Like it's not a full hat, but the dust stays out of my eyes with this brim. That was my justification. And and even the bank patron comes up and says, I'm withdrawing my money because every time I come in, you got your hat on. It makes it look like you're going to run out of here. It makes me mm-hmm. nervous, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. I just, yeah, that one, I don't get the hay fever thing. I never understood that yeah. one. I still don't get oh, that. Oh, and the final thing, that reminds me of the final thing, the boondoggling. He's like, do you like boondoggling? And I was like, <laughs> what the hell is boondoggling? And I looked it up. Okay, so boondoggling apparently was a trend in the 30s that Boy Scouts would do that was like lanyard. It was a thing people did. I didn't know about it. Yep. And now it's like a political thing. They're wasting time. They're boondoggling. Right. It'd be just sitting and weaving, right? Instead of doing something effective, right? And now, you know, it's just like a lanyard thing was just something you do now at summer camp, you know? And now everyone, yes. oh, I did the box stitch. I know how to do it. Right. Yeah. yeah. That was literally what I was picturing summer camp doing the box stitch. <laughs> that's so what that's what boondoggling is, everybody, in case you were wondering. Um, all right. So, yeah, let's let's get into the modern lens then. We, we've talked, we've danced around it. Uh, the characterization of the black patron here are my, it's like kind of a mix of things because it's an unfortunate stereotypical performance. They don't make this character look incredibly intelligent. Although he does say what he does say is, you know, I feel like you're going to run out all the time. He's pointing out like the kind of rudeness of the man wearing the hat. But what I appreciated in that moment too, like the other side of that is like one, what you said, a black actor was playing a black role. So at least the very least we have that, but also that this is clearly an integrated bank. Um, So I was like, okay, that's good Mm -hmm. that, you know, we have an integrated banking system and that this man is having money at this bank. Didn't love WC Fields reaction to him when he turns around, was not a fan of that. 
Um, so it's like a mixed moment of like, here are some very negative things about it, but here's a few positives too. So that yeah. was kind of me breaking down that moment. Yeah. The reaction to him is the thing that kind of sours it for me every single time. Yeah. Cause I know it's supposed to come across as surprise, but he has the same reaction when he's dealing with his mother-in-law and that one's clearly disgust. And that's the problem I really have with it. Um, Again, like I, I get it. It's it's surprising, and he and he has he does the surprising thing. He kind of does the weird double take to the thin man uh, with the with the very weird jaw when he's standing mm-hmm. at the bar. So like he does like those big takes for unusual characters. But I I just see you know again like his reaction to especially the the bank patron to be more along the lines of disgust as opposed to surprise. It reads as racism. It does. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, and I do, but I do like the fact that he just you know he just literally is just shares sits back lets him talk for a while and then just shares the window and then just you know and ends the beat to go yeah. to the next thing at least it, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't carry past that one moment if that's if there yes. is a small saving grace well, and also at least the black person is not in a serving position here which is yeah. another awful stereotype that was placed on black people in classic film in this time period too yeah so like at least there are the a couple of things where it's like well at least it's not that but that doesn't mean it's still a great moment yeah um, and and he's yeah. and he's dressed very much the way that field's family is dressed yeah you know there isn't a huge differentiation between that other than the awful awful speech that he has yeah. to you know again the accent and everything else yeah it's yeah. it's that that part is a little rough yeah that's right Another thing I wrote down was uh, obviously Modern Lens. We discussed it earlier. Drugging someone's drink. Never okay. That's never okay. Right. Especially working in tandem with the bartender of all people. Oh, my God. Hey, can you help me poison this guy? You got it. Regular. You know, like, there it is. Yeah. Uh, That's how easy it was. Just had to ask if Mickey Finn had been in. And also, why, again, why does everyone listen to him and cooperate with him? It still makes no sense, and yet they do. Well... I can understand why the bartender would, because I, I mean, it's fairly obvious Fields is his best customer. <laughs> so, I mean, he does want to make him happy. And if that requires him to, to roofie the odd bank examiner in the line of his duties, then so be it. I also love that they called it Tomain poisoning. And I went, oh, that's cute. That's the past right there. He's got Tomain poisoning. Tomain. She said, what does she say about it? She's like, doesn't smell like Tomain poisoning to me. Doesn't smell like Tomain. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, that's great. That I mean, sorry, that line was great. Him being drugged again, can't yes, stress not, enough. Not, not as great. great. Not as great. Although he does fight through it rather quickly. His turnaround time is astounding. He's back at work that day. And I do, and I do again, I get his name, uh, Jay Pinkerton Snoopington, like Snoopington, like he's a Snoop Pinkertons as the awful cops, you know, rounding up people like you, just everything in his name you're supposed to hate. I love it. Oh, speaking of names though, the Black Pussy Cafe, that doesn't hold up. <laughs> that really doesn't hold up. Isn't it the Black Pussycat Cafe and they call it the Black Pussy? Probably. It's probably mm. the Black Pussycat. But when the there is that bank manager and when he goes, were you at the Black Pussy? And I was like, oh, God, he doesn't know what that means. This is 1940 and that doesn't mean vagina yet. Um, so, you know, it's like when my my mother texted me and she was like, what does woke mean? And I was like, oh, oh here we go. Are we going to are, are we have to get into some shit? And she was just like, no, no, no. I really I just don't. Oh, oh OK. And she was like, no, I believe those things. I was like, oh, OK. Did someone call you woke? Then it's OK. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, again, now it's got like a negative kind of like racial context. But back then, I don't think 
I don't know what they thought, but that when he like yells that you're like, Ooh, my ears, they don't like <laughs> you saying that. Um, and then just in general, W.C. Fields should not ever have a gun or be given a gun. That was a modern lens thing. Oh, yeah. Very irresponsible, very drunk man should not have a gun. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Axiom for life. Yeah. And I mean, my favorite is the first time you see him holding the gun after he wakes up after being hit with it from the newspaper when they think they caught the other bank robber. And he's literally holding it like a dead fish. You know, like that's that's the way you're supposed to hold. You know, he's like, take it. Right. Like, oh, good thing I had your revolver. Like, yeah. yeah." (laughs) Right. You know, and then he gets all taxi driver with it when he's pulling it, you know, in the in the bar on himself and then pulls it on the post. Oh, yeah. He's playing around. Right. I well, and I also thought it was funny too when his daughter's like they're talking about he saved the man with the gun and the daughter's like he doesn't have a gun gun. and nobody cares nobody listens they're like yes he does no one's listening (laughs) he saved the day um and then i think the final thing it's not actually a modern lens thing it's just something that i always notice that always bothers me a little is that when people play drunk in the past they they do such a bad job and no drunk person i think i've ever seen has had hiccups ever and yet every drunk person on screen from the past has hiccups and that will probably always bother me i i it just does i think snoopington only does it once or twice for the most part you know like i love the hollywood guy he takes two straight shots of absinthe and yeah. never shows any sign of anything <laughs> so he's obviously the highest not on camera yeah exactly he's the <laughs> highest functioning alcoholic with fields coming in second in this film um but yeah but i always love fields depiction of of drunk because he actually does modify it uh, you see, he he will make more physical errors. They're all highly choreographed, but you'll always see after and during drinking scenes, that's when he gets the fork in the ass. That's when he puts the hat on the hook, right? That's when he's yeah. just had his morning rum, de, his cafe rum de papa, right? You know, and then he puts his hat on his own cane, you know, or walks through the wrong side of the door, or walks up the steps on the ottoman and the table, not realizing that he's on the other side of the steps, you know, that, that type of stuff. Um, yeah, but when it comes to like functioning alcoholics, him and the uh, the uh, the Hollywood dude are definitely at the top of their game. Yeah. Well, and I liked I liked the way WC Fields played drunk because I was like, that feels way more natural than oh, yeah. like your stereotypical. You know what I'm talking about? There's oh, like sure. a stereotypical way of like they're a drunk character, and I'm like, yeah. no drunk person has ever looked like that or said that or talked like that or had the hiccups. So yep. no, I say no. Yes, as an actor, I've always heard the axiom is the best way to play drunk is to try and play sober because that's what a drunk person does. Well, and sometimes drunk people don't care either. So I think it's like... Right, but at that point, then it's just like, I love you, you know, and you can scream that and mean it and you're like, that person is clearly drunk. We're we're about to go into the double feature. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you would love to talk about before we head out? The last thing I'd love to say is, as far as his writing is concerned, uh, W.C. Fields came up with a lexicon of swear words that you could actually say on film. So it's always so wonderful to hear his Godfrey Daniel and, you know, and like, mother of... Pearl, you know, like it's like they they all the way he uses them and and his phrasing and the consonants, they sound like swears when he does it. And I just think it's brilliant. And and when you talk about like great writing, you know, I think creating words is part of that, like Shakespeare and, you know, Walter Winchell and, you know, like, you know, like people like that. And I think Fields definitely did it. He was able to create a sort of pseudo swear. That was fun. Do more of them. (laughs) You mean (laughs) 
fake ones. ones. Yeah, do the fake ones. Um, yeah, he uses Godfrey Daniel twice in this one, which I love, and he uses Mother of Pearl in this one again. Um, is there a Bananas Foster at one point he uses as a as a, as a swear word as well? He loves using uh, words as well, uh, especially biblical names. He'll use those. <laughs> it's he's just like he's he's he and he can just pull them uh, one right after the other. Um, yeah, and again, those asides that I love so much, even when the beefsteak mind guy is giving him that intense pitch, you know, and, and like you can see Fields trying to remember it all. And he goes, gosh, oh, I'm sorry I used harsh language. And, and he gets it on and Fields goes, no, it's all right. I sometimes use swear where, you know, I use harsh language myself. You know, he's got these wonderful asides that just roll under it all. And then you can tell when he's trying to tell Og the same story, he does not remember any of it. He's like beer flowing through the state over your grandmother's paisley shawl and he goes beer beer right he yes ends him you know like he's just he, he's just grabbing anything he can that that the that he got conned with he you know again so you can see you know fields like commenting on his own writing like he wrote the speech for the con man and now he's trying to re-deliver the speech that he wrote for himself it's just there's there's layers to this it's great what's funny about that too is i had a physical like my inner reaction was what fields was doing in that scene because whenever someone tries to talk math and money at you there's a thing where you're like please stop i don't right. want to hear this i <laughs> this is very boring and i really don't want any part of this so he's like backing away and trying to right. you know physically stop it from happening and i did not pick up anything the guy said so i felt like fields in the next scene when he was trying to explain it i was like i've done that that's me. That is so universal. Yeah. I get it. And and I just love the way he puts it all together. You know, the arboreal Dell, the way the man tells it, it has a kind of progression to it, but the way he feels as it's all happening at once. And you don't know what the hell's going on. It's just, it's, yeah, it's just so great. Do you know? And again, like another Marx Brothers line is when uh, Stahl is giving Snoopington the, the pills. He's like, uh, you know, you, I want you to take one for four nights, then skip a night. He's like, I thought you told me to stay in bed. Oh, you take me too literally. No, I want you to refrain from a night. He thought literally skip for a night you know i just such a stupid line it's such a great dumb gag um yeah and uh yeah i think i think that's it you know i mean we've covered it all the physical stuff the vocal stuff uh the wonderful supporting cast uh how this really is just like literally a series of sketches almost cobbled together flawlessly and uh and and while i do think it has uh it does have its flaws i i think it holds up remarkably well yeah like us talking about it has made me love it even more. And I think it's just like manage your own expectations going in. Like, you know, that's what it was. Had, had somebody hyped it for me and I had seen a hundred on Rotten Tomatoes, I probably would have been like, well, this better be fucking great. You know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and it's, like, it's, it's hard, especially with something that was made 80 years ago. And a comedy that was made 80 years ago, because comedies do not age as well as right. other kinds of films. Yeah. 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 So I, I really, yeah, I, th I think it holds up. And I do. I see I see new things almost every single time. And for me, it's like almost the uh, in the car chase, just seeing how much more dangerous it is than I originally thought. Like every time I go like, oh, they almost died here. Like those two people almost died. Oh, look at that. You know, yeah, every time. And it's so legit. And there's like really, that's really the dust flying up. Like there are no CG effects here. This is all real stuff. And you can see the stuntmen too. Because <laughs> you're like, WC Fields is not doing that. And oh the Clearly obvious not. difference between the stuntmen and him and it's fabulous i really enjoy it yeah it's great oh and just one more fun little noticing thing for people at home 
we did watch White Christmas on this podcast because obviously it's one of my favorite classics. It's such a delightful Christmas film. But Grady Sutton, I kept looking at him and thinking, how do I know you? How do I know you? He's uncredited in so many things. Yeah. I realized he is the guy in White Christmas that dances with the girl that's like, uh, mutually, I'm sure. He's the guy she ends up with. And that once I figured that out, I was like, that's it. That's how I know you because you sit there and it drives you nuts. And yep. that was it. He's that guy. So anyway, Christmas fans at home, you've seen Grady Sutton before. I mean, he shows up in, in a in a slew of Fields films, but I also think he's in a couple of Fred Astaire movies. Um, like he's, he's, he's again, he's like that one of those perfect comedy utility guys. He just pops up whenever you need him. He has 248 credits, I think, as an actor on IMDb. And like half of them are uncredited. <laughs> He was like the go-to for a joke guy forever in so many things. There it is. So you've definitely seen his face. Like he's one of those people. Yep. That was him. Just wanted to put that in. So we're now in the double feature portion of this show. If you liked this movie. So I feel like it's very similar to a lot of like the physical comedy at the time. So the people I wrote down, you know, I wrote Laurel and Hardy. So if you liked this, maybe check out some of their shorts like Battle of the Century or The Music Box. Yes. For W.C. Fields films, again, since I haven't seen them, you're going to have to corroborate this. I wrote Never Give a Sucker an Even Break, My Little Chickadee. One of my favorites. Uh, my Little Chickadee, uh, Never Give a Sucker an Even Break is fantastic. It's got a bunch of set pieces and it's Fields being Fields at his best. And he's a little benevolent in this, but he's still a, he's still a total shitbag. It's great. Um, uh, but you also get um, uh, Charlie McCarthy and Edgar Bergen. So like it's it's really interesting to see how um, a puppet can upstage a human. Uh, before the Muppets. It's pretty cool. Um, and My Little Chickadee is great because you get the play between the two of them. Uh, Mae West is just, you know, like she's 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 a, she's a force, you know, and to see the two of them together is like they're just, you know, like he'll say something that's kind of sexually innuendo and she'll just make fun of the way he looks or sounds. It's fantastic. Well, and we were close to doing that because I love Mae West so much, but we're actually, fun fact for the people at home, next season we're going to do a Mae West feature. So I wanted to kind of save our Mae West chat for then you know so that's one of the reasons why we didn't do that one and then um you can't cheat an honest man and if i had a million we're both two more that i'd written down what do you say do you do you yes. agree uh yeah can't cheat an honest man also a really good one classic fields uh where you get a lot of great set pieces and uh if i had a million he's only in a small part of it it's it's just one of the f five stories i believe four or five five i think it is uh again it's been a while since i've seen it um, but it's the funniest one. And it is, it's like, if you're, if you've ever driven in Los Angeles, you have to watch this. Uh, the most <laughs> heartbreaking one though, is the guy who passes bad checks. Um, and he's arrested and he's given a check of a million dollars and he can't even get a bed in a flop house because nobody, everyone thinks it's a oh. fake check. It's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. So it's, it's a very interesting film. It's kind of like um, uh, Night on Earth. Uh, if you're a Jim Jarmusch fan and you like Night on Earth, you'll I think you'll like If I Had a Million. See, it's nice. And I'm like, I don't know. I just researched <laughs> and this is what the Internet said. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, but those are all good. They're all goodies. Trust me. Yeah. Well, and then other people that kind of feel similar to me that you might want to check out, like Buster Keaton, his films, The Cameraman, Our Hospitality, especially The Cameraman in dealing with this with like both of the Hollywood angles on it, yep. um, the physical comedy all of that or Charlie Chaplin specifically like modern times, the circus and the kid. Cause those are more of his 
early physical comedy moments. Yep. And the big narrative ones. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, again, you can never go wrong with Chaplin or Keaton for pretty much anything. Um, uh, I did, I did a Keaton podcast. We did all the shorts. Um, so please give it a listen. If you'd like, uh, we talk about all of them. We have some wonderful guests, uh, including Teller of Penn and Teller. Uh, cause he's a, obviously a huge Buster Keaton fan as you would probably yeah. imagine. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's, uh, you can't go, can't go wrong with any of the full length or the shorts for either one of them. Yeah. And, and a little, and a little Harold Lloyd throwing a little Harold Lloyd over there. Why not? I didn't even put Harold Lloyd in here, but yes, sure. Harold Lloyd, you're correct. That's correct. And the Marx Brothers, but only from 1931 to 1938. Yes, the early stuff. When you're when you've gotten the circus and the big story, you've gone too far. Turn around. All right. Do you have any other uh, features you can think of that would be a good double feature for this? Um, I mean, if if you're into the the black and white stuff, um, I love uh, movies about you know scoundrels. So uh, Face in the Crowd is uh, just one of my favorites in general. And if you want to see a drama about, you know, a shyster and, and basically, you know, a, a modern day or, you know, or what was, you know, back then you're looking at like sort of a, a horrible influence in media and, and politics a la, you know, whatever your political bent is. I don't want to guess. Maybe you're a Joe Rogan, but I don't know. Um, uh, also, Repulsive Rogan was one of the characters in this, by the way. Yes, yeah. I thought so about like, that. Oh, Repulsive <laughs> Rogan. <laughs> awesome. He's got a new nickname. Um, and, uh, yeah, so if you're into that stuff, uh, it's great. And, um, you know, again, Fields is so much fun. Uh, I always say like stick with the biggies uh, in that era and you can't go wrong with the Marx Brothers or Laurel and Hardy. So you mentioned your podcast. Do you have anything else, uh, any way people can find you maybe on social media or any other projects you want to talk about really quick before we head out? Sure, I'll plug myself. Uh, I'm the only Jeremy Guskin on the planet, so I'm real easy to find. I'm Jeremy Guskin at Twitter, Jeremy Guskin at Instagram, Jeremy Guskin at Facebook. I'm also jeremyguskin.com. I'm currently back up and running with a new sketch team called Money Please at the UCB theater on Franklin in Hollywood. Um, I'm also going to be starring in a play called Anatomy of Grey that's going up uh, the 19th of November uh, with the Open Fist Theater Company at, uh, at, at Water Village, the Atwater Village Theater Complex. And what was the name of your Buster Keaton podcast? Uh, it's called Talking Buster Keaton. I, I, it's my podcast and I don't know the name of it, but I think that's it. Uh, and I also guest on my friend's podcast quite a bit, Dopey, which is a, a recovery podcast. Uh, I, I do characters for him every once in a while. Um, and uh, that podcast has been featured on This American Life. And uh, oh, yes, yes. And uh, that's my friend Dave's podcast. And he's wonderful. And uh, and I currently teach at uh, Avison, which is a charter school in Altadena. So if uh, you know, you're in Altadena and want to swing by my theater and come say hi, please do. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This was such a delight. Thank you for having me. I've been wanting to do this for a while. I love your podcast. Thanks. Oh, shucks. Thanks. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, we'll see you next time on Doc Classic to Me. You have been listening to Talk Classic to Me with Sarah Greenfield. That's me. My guest this week was Jeremy Guskin. They will be featured on our Instagram page. If you enjoyed our show, please introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe and maybe even find us on anchor.fm to become a contributing member. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Talk Classic to Me for some awesome content and to find out what's coming up next. Thanks for listening. <laughs>